Hello, my name is Martina Flor. I'm a learning artist, author, and educator. Do you know what my most powerful tool to create my work is? Mm -mm. Not my hands, mm -mm. not my brain, but my eyes. I've been training my observation skills since day one, and that had a major impact on my skills and success as a commercial lettering artist. Not only that, it has helped me find inspiration everywhere around me and staying away from endless scrolling, down Google, Pinterest, and Instagram. Have you ever been in the situation of looking at your drawing, knowing that something is off or that it's not quite ready yet, but not knowing how to fix it? Fear not. This training called Letter Hunters will help you develop what I call your typographic eye by just using inspiration from your surroundings. If you want to improve your work, you need to start by sharpening your observation skills. Join me and become the best letter hunter in town. See you inside. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Studio. I'm your host, Martina Flora, and in this show I have honest conversations with artists, designers, and creatives to uncover their paths and discuss the specific tactics they use to overcome challenges and succeed on their own terms. Today I'll be having a conversation with Alex Trochut. Alex is an award-winning Spanish artist, graphic designer, illustrator, and typographer born in Barcelona and currently based in Brooklyn, New York. He's definitely a top artist and designer in the creative industries, mixing styles and genres and drawing equally from pop culture, street culture, fashion and music. Alex has created design, illustration and typography for a diverse range of clients like Nike, Adidas, The Rolling Stones, Cadbury, BBC, Coca-Cola, Pepsi and many others. Alex has been honored for his work in design and typography by industry pioneers like the Type Directors Club, Communication Arts and Graphics, including being named an Art Directors Club Young Gun, honoring designers under 30. The conversation with Alex was beautiful. He spoke about his family trauma with creativity as well as the steps he made to overcome it and build a successful career in design and illustration. Alex shared how he got his first assignments, became better at his craft, and built a business without having to take a role of a businessman. What stuck with me from this conversation with Alex is how changing different aspects of his environment, work, and even his creative tools created important shifts in his career and life. If you're planning to carry on changes yourself, this conversation with Alex will be eye-opening and inspiring. You can find him on Instagram at Trochut, that is T-R-O-C-H-U-T, on Twitter at Alex Trochut, and online on alextrochut.com. Enjoy this show with Alex. Hello, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Hello, Martina. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great and I'm so looking forward to talk to you, um, you know, about your creative path and a little bit about your career and how you started with this. Um, you might not know this, but the first time I saw you was during a lecture series in The Hague. I was studying type design there. I don't know if you remember okay. that you made a yeah. lecture in The Hague. So I was studying type design there at that time and 
there was this guy with a Spanish accent, like <laughs> me, speaking about his work. But most specifically, um, you were speaking about one of the projects designed uh, by Joan Troshut, your grandfather, yeah. um, which is a typeface called Super Veloz. For those listening um, that have a love for typography like I do, I will add a link to this project on our show notes uh, so that you can check it out. But in a nutshell, this the this typo, um, sorry, this super veloz typeface is a modular typeface which allowed you as a designer to do a lot of illustrations and headlines and it was like a display typeface. And it was at that time really innovative. Um, and I found that project really fascinating at the time. So you stayed in, in my mind because of that project. But mostly I remember thinking like, hey, how amazing and how lucky this guy for growing up witnessing this. And because it doesn't happen often that a lettering artist or a designer has the chance to grow up in a family with a tradition in typography or a background in typography. So mm -hmm. I want to start there. Um, okay. And I want to start there with you growing up and I want to hear more about that and how it was for you growing up with the character of your grandfather, um, you know, as part of your life and how that played a role in your direction or the direction of your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, first of all, I, I never got to meet him. Everything that I got, I think it was coming from probably a genetic memory mm -hmm. and that somehow very strangely, I think like the uh, epigenetics of uh, something so specific as letters mm -hmm. could travel from. It's not, it's not a physical trait. It's kind of like a strangely enough that same sort of like uh drive towards something so human made it's not like oh my my grandfather was a great runner so i also have you know that physique for that so it is uh strange like that but yeah basically uh my grandfather uh he died just like six months before i was born and um and he was pretty much um very fed up for the um graphic designer at the time of his death because um, he could not uh, have worked as an artist or designer as he wanted. Mm -hmm. He basically was very successful at the beginning of his career. Like when he was, he was born in the, in the 1920 mm -hmm. and uh, he died in, um, in the 80, 1980. Uh, but yeah, basically he was uh, the son of a printer man was like my great-grandfather um, and he could see that he had like this talent for for creativity so he canalized his sort of um, skills towards uh, creating typography and when he was 20 only like 22 he already released Super Tipo Veloz which I think Super Tipo Veloz in in many ways I think is kind of like at the peak of what letterpress allowed to do. Like it's the most complex um, modular system that I think it's it's been created. No? And it was kind of like an intersection between many things that also was happening at the time between Bauhaus and, and uh, Art Deco, but not in a reductionist basic uh, way. It was way more expressive. So 
it was 250 pieces that were connected with each other and kind of like allow you to create all these incredible compositions. Funny enough, the, the Super Veloz translates as super fast. Mm. But if you talk with a letter press uh, person, it will tell you it's the opposite. <laughs> so yeah. tedious. Just, just to give yeah. a little bit of context for those listening that are not type freaks or type uh, aficionados, is, um, you know, the, the moment that this... this um, typeface was created, uh, there was still this uh, letterpress system being used to print stuff, which is this modular system where you had to put one letter, each letter was like a block, and you had to set them together to create a word. So you had to put one block next to the next one to create a word, right? So it was really mm -hmm. complex in terms of, um, you know, composing a design, you had to put together a lot of different blocks. Um, mm -hmm. And this typeface had hundreds of blocks, which you can combine in hundreds of different ways. Um, so I think that was the innovative part of it, that at that time, you would use this system in a very conservative way. And this uh, super veloce typeface would allow you to, you know, go beyond this very conservative way of setting up a typographic composition. You could create illustrations and headlines that were really expressive and it's still within this very restrictive system, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was kind of like a, a Lego in a different yeah. way. It's all these like geometric shapes. So my grandfather was basically this uh, very talented kid that was forced to... First, I think he, he discovered design in a way that it was very vocational. Like he I could, I think it's like I could never speak with him, and and my father was uh, doing something very different. He, I, I'll explain the whole thing because I feel like it's uh, maybe since you asked, maybe we can like go through the whole thing. But yeah. um, he, at the beginning of his life, I think he was really channeling his passion. Mm -hmm. And um, when he was 22, he was doing this uh, immense modular system. Uh, did two more typographies. Uh, one was called uh, Bisonte, the other one Muriel for Juventud. And um, and then from here, he had to take care of a business. It was a very big uh, printer uh, company that his father built. So back in the days, of course, when you needed a design, you didn't go to a designer, you went to the printer. So you had to do everything. So he has a man, he was a man that had to take care of all the design aspects which i think was his vocation and passion but then he had to take care as a businessman of a company of 150 people mm. and so that i think pulled him a lot away from creativity mm. because of that need and then on top of that there's all the other technical aspect of printing with letterpress which is another set of uh, technical challenges that i think he might have struggled a lot to be able to manage both things probably the technical side of printing and creativity would be kind of like still something he would like, but becoming a businessman was really what, uh, what killed him, literally. He, mm. he was very stressed and uh, he, at around 60s, letterpress was starting to fade away because offset came in. So mm. this technological change was really presenting um, a dilemma for him because mm. it's either I start a new technology and investing in something I have no idea about or and this was his thinking I'm going to stick to letterpress 
and I'm going to just uh, have maybe a little niche, but the good printing standards that we have, they will not disappear. Mm. But yeah, you, he, he of course was, wasn't right in that approach. And uh, then basically he was not a good businessman in that sense. He was more mm. like an artist. Mm. And I can only empathize with his position, like how tough math had been his last years because he was seeing how all that his, his father built was, um, was kind of like going in the opposite direction that he hoped. And uh, long story short, um, well, the company had to close and he, he died when he was 60 uh, from a cancer. So mm. I think there's a lot of things that um, for many reasons, my father, the idea of graphic design for him was something um, extremely stupid as a, as a business career because he had the example of his father. And when I told him like I wanted to do graphic design, he's like, oh, you're nuts. I, I really don't want you to do this. Like, you should not do that. Look at your grandfather, it was a fucking disaster. And I wish you better than that, but yeah. So it, it, took, it took me a little bit of time to convince my dad that that was actually what I really wanted to do. But, but yeah, I, I didn't know a lot about what my grandfather did in, in my house. Um, it was known, of course, what he, what he did as a professional, but um, mostly they describe him as a, as a very quiet man that like he liked to paint and uh, he liked to paint uh, oiled impressionism and mainly like the family was like oh, that he was a painter like he also had a printer shop but, like they didn't really put so much stress into the typographical achievements because he was so young at the time that he accomplished yeah. them that then you know by the time he was a father uh, that was already like 10 years ago um, so by the time I go to school and when I go to study graphic design, I'm starting to speak with uh, teachers and they like look at my surname and, and they are like, but are you related to, to Jean Truchuk? And I said, yeah, you're my grandfather. And they were like, oh, this is uh, no <laughs> pressure kids, but yeah, you're, you, have, you have a lot of background on, uh, on your family. And then I, I learned more about his, his work, of course. And I want to ask you, because it sounds so such a heavy load in a way, because you're telling this amazing story of this accomplished designer who was your grandfather. But at the same time, you are t also telling a story of a creative who was forced into becoming a businessman and kind of missing that creative part of his work. And that becoming also like a little bit of a trauma for your father who saw his own father go through that experience and telling you, hey, Alex, I don't want this life for you. And mm -hmm. you as a person who wanted to go down this path, how did you deal with that? How did you deal with first having that story or that tra mm -hmm. trauma story, uh, which is also beautiful. I mean, it's, you know, your grandfather is an accomplished designer, has made projects that really made a mark in Spanish uh, graphic design um, but how did you deal with that which was a trauma for your father um, and how did you push through it and became what you became right now which is you know someone who works in typography and lives from it right well first of all I think like my I'm very grateful for my father because he 
he did not what the father of my grandfather did, which is kind of like impose something to his mm. son, right? Like, because he had to take care of that business, my grandfather. He had to, um, there was no other option, I guess, at that time, because there really was not also the career of graphic design per se. But maybe, you know, he will have been just very happy doing uh, just his creative job. And uh, I believe like everybody is, is meant to um, kind of like uh, follow their their desires and we don't mm. choose them, right? Um, so my grandfather and my father, in this case, uh, give me a chance. I had to really prove myself. I think that was good because I had to kind of like, this was just not like a, um, a funny idea that I had one day. And then maybe I was a terrible student, by the way. Like, like my grandfather had like very little credit for me. And I was like, oh my God, where is this going to go? And, um, and then he saw that I was really actually like for first time <laughs> enjoying going to classes and, and, uh, and kind of like, yeah, like uh, developing a, a talent that I, I had mm. there and I, and I couldn't really do it. So yeah, and in that sense, I'm very grateful because he, he once he saw it, he was very super supportive. So. And I want to go back to something that you said about your grandfather, which is that... You know, he was not a businessman. He was pushed into the position of a businessman because he was running a, a company with 150 employees and he was more of a creative um, soul, right? And I want to find out how that, how do you relate to that in your, um, you know, nowadays, right? You yeah. are now working and running your own business as a graphic designer and artist and you work for a lot of different clients a lot of different projects and that comes with the responsibility not only to create the art but also to run your business successfully right even mm -hmm. if it's a solo business where it's just you just managing the whole thing so how do you relate to that um to that personality of like being a businessman and at the same time, being the creative uh, mind in your business. Right. Well, I think in my case, it's it's very easy because uh, I don't have, um, like you said, it's like a solo sort of like a setup. And uh, basically, you collaborate with, with your clients. And I also work with... Um, with either um, a, a producer or if it's an agent that they kind of like um, deal with all the admin work, uh, like, you know, negotiating maybe a fee or uh, sending invoices and doing all that stuff that um, I think I would not be great at, even just if it's uh, some little stuff just for one person. Uh, so in that case, I think it's way easier. And, and then I think at some point, every freelance that starts to build up their own sort of like style um, gets into the idea of like the thought of like should I build up a studio or a team mm -hmm. um, that crossed my mind a few times but I think honestly I'm like so um, addicted to the process that I enjoy a lot being lost into the process of creating and I think when you create a studio you need to kind of like take the, the back seat a little bit and direct and I just don't enjoy that because mm -hmm. I, I like the happy accident of the process um, I feel like um, a director needs to know where to go and I enjoy getting lost all the time. Like I, I don't have a clear, I, I just figure things out as I work. 
So if I had to direct somebody, I think uh, I'll be a terrible uh, creative <laughs> director or a very boring one, because I think once you have that idea, like how could you decide that that is what you're going to stick to when there's so many options that can happen during the, the way, like when you go traveling, right? It's like, okay, we're going to go here, here, here. But then, I don't know, something happened and you decide we're going to change plans. <laughs> Better, right? So, yeah, I don't, I cannot work with uh, anybody under me. Yeah, but it's interesting because in a way you have built a team, a team where, you know, you are independent from each other maybe, but you have someone taking care of the business part of of the business and mm -hmm. you are taking over like the creative position. Um, mm -hmm. They are not, you know, your agent or your producer is not part of your company, but still it's also, I think it's a, in a way a modern or a contemporary way of creating a team. Um, mm -hmm. I always have yeah. the feeling that we grew up with the traditional idea of a studio uh, or like a design studio where there's a boss and there's the employees and they all sit in the same room. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think the the way you're describing it, um, it seems that you have a little bit of a team that you're not working alone on a daily basis, um, but you have managed to kind of delegate some of the things you will be doing as a business owner um, to other people that is not part of your company. Yeah, and, and I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I think also it's the, the way to be free. And, mm. and when you are like, you can reduce the scale of things. I'm always very scared of like uh, renouncing to certain um, liberties when you have mm. uh, a big structure. But everybody, I think now, like maybe introducing a, a little bit the idea of like remote working, mm. it's it really it's not necessary to have like a physical uh, team under the same roof. Mm. Like um, I, I talk with my producer uh, and she's in New York and the client maybe is in, uh, in Spain or, or England or whatever. And then we can all, you know, function in, in that way. And I think it makes things like way more fun uh, if you if you are able to have that formula. For me, for example, I think what I sell is something very is like like you, you know, it's like a it's a tailor uh, shop. Mm. It's, uh, everything needs to be adapted to one client, and it's not for a big big production. I'm not gonna create like so many adaptations. I don't need like a huge team. And um, I prefer to work like this. I think it's, it's a nicer product and more control over the, the final result. So I want to go back to how did you start it in design? So you, you mentioned before that you went to art school, that your teachers were saying like, hey, you're the grandson of Joan uh, Troshut. Um, and what came after that? So you went to art school. Um, what were the steps after that, that took you down this path of being an artist mm -hmm. and working with typography? Um, well, after, yeah, after finishing studies, I started to work as an intern for, for one studio in Barcelona called Turmix. And they, they are a branding studio and their way of approaching projects is very rational. Like they, they, I remember uh, every Monday we had a meeting and we discussed the project we had to go through the week. Yeah, I was working with, with Termix and I remember the, the meetings were very fun because like we had to explain everything 
um, to each other. And it was not like, hey, can I draw a sketch or something and then I'll show you. No, no, you need to exactly explain what is it going to be. And so it really required like such conceptual flexing that I, I wasn't like, going nuts because I, it's not my thing. I'm like really bad about rationalizing just with ideas. I'm more like a crafter, not a thinker. And, but it was very good for me because I spent two years kind of like working on that sort of like school of design. We could mm-hmm. say maybe a bit more Swiss, like uh, communication was really coming from, from the concept and um, not so much seducing with the with the eye right Mm. um so um i did two years there and then i went to vasava where i spent another two years and vasava was a completely different school of uh approach to to the visual communication which was way more expressive and uh, i had the best time in vasava i i have very good memories um and which way were they in which way were they different or how how did you feel they they made a mark in your way of approaching design so i think they have they're a big studio like well big in terms of like maybe number i don't know these days but uh when i was working there with maybe 15 people and everybody was taking care of their own projects and uh, they were supervised by the creative director, of course. Uh, but, but yeah, everybody could like kind of like channel their own styles and they were really welcoming everybody to bring um, their own ways into the mm-hmm. table. So the, um, the styles of Vasava are really kind of like a mashup of all the members at a time. So um, in that sense, I think like I gave voice um, to many people in order to how you could create something with your own visual language uh, for their clients, right? Um, So yeah, in that sense, I think it was like a very nice um, way to see how you could manage um, building your own um, content if you you had the opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So um, after that, I started to freelance after two years and uh, building my own clientele um, uh, internationally. I was uh, doing my, my website in, in English, which at the time was like, whoa, you're making your website in English? It's so weird, right? Because like you're in Barcelona and nobody speaks English. But yeah. yeah, it worked. And like you were getting projects from abroad and, and little by little, like working by email. I remember I didn't want to do meetings because I was so young and shy and scared. I was like, no, no, just everything by. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very fun. Like uh, the the first years were like super exciting because you're kind of like figuring it out your your style. But um, you you get to do, of course, like you get these opportunities, but you want to show in every project your best, right? Mm-hmm. And like, um, you maybe make a lot of mistakes, but they're they're full of uh, energy and like uh, passion. Yeah. I want to go deeper there. Like you were working for Vasava for how many years? Uh, two years. Two years, okay. And you decided because this container or this design studio allowed you to kind of use or have your own input on the on the projects and kind of start exploring your own style. You decided to then later go freelance. I want to ask you, like, why did you decide to go freelance? Because this seems like, you know, Vasava as a design studio, a, work, a, a workplace seems like a dream job. 
And I wonder what, you know, why would you want to go freelance at that time? And also mm -hmm. like a follow-up question to that would be, how were your steps or what are the things that you think made a difference in you getting clients internationally? Okay. Um, yeah, well, the first question, I think it's at some point, there's something always growing on you in terms of like, what are your own dreams and your own sort of like ideas mm. that at the beginning, when you get to a job like there, it, it's true. It was like a dream job. But after two years, I think like, you want to start making your own um, planning on where you want to put time. Because like, mm. I, maybe I was not quantifying um, so much for me. It was like, it doesn't matter if I work on a project that is making a lot of money for the company or a project that is not making a lot of money for, uh, money for the company. I just want to do things that I enjoy. So, mm. because at the end of the day, for me, you know, we're just getting a salary over there. And um, and then, you know, I really wanted to put more time into the things I was enjoying. And so I think that drives a lot my decision to to decide to uh, make my own and really put as much time as I wanted into the things that didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how were like the first months as a freelance? Like you just stopped working for that studio and you set up a desk at your place and you just started creating your yeah. website how, how were the those first months and how were the steps to get those first clients right so yeah um i was um at the time i was living with marta sarda i, I oh. think you inter interviewed yes. her in yes. the podcast right um so yeah we were living together and um and i set up in in our apartment and yeah for like eight months i was just uh, working from there And then, um, yeah, basically, first step, building the website and uh, putting um, the work that I was able to do um, and then waiting. Uh, it takes a, a little bit of time. In the beginnings, I'm not going to say they're, they're easy at all. Like, they're always tough. But it's very important that um, I was able to show what I was capable of doing. Mm. And, um, and then after that that happened you know projects were coming in and then you know you are you're able to um yeah kind of like after one year like you you feel like the the wheel has turned like a whole sort of like cycle and you are in a rhythm where like things are just starting to happen in a more regular basis mm. um but yeah um the beginnings are where We're kind of like any opportunity, you know, like it doesn't matter. Like I was uh, doing any job, uh, making it, trying to make it as exciting as, as I could. And like, try to think about the portfolio as like this sort of like sacred gallery where like every work that you're doing needs to be a piece of um, a portfolio piece. No, you're not, there was no room for just like whatever job. Like sometimes, you know, now that you spend more time in the field you don't put in the portfolio every job that you do at least i i don't mm. there's some mm. people that can do that i'm mm. i don't i think like i i kind of like separate a little bit the projects that i feel like okay this i will put it in the website because i think it shows something that others uh, have not done but there's some other jobs that are just like um repeating a little bit what you already done so there's mm. not a lot of uh, 
makes a lot of sense to put it back in in the website right um so yeah at the beginning i remember like every job that i was doing was like oh this is a new way of doing things and like i was very excited about like experimenting and and getting those opportunities yeah and i want to know a little bit about you know you you mentioned that you created a website which was speaking to your customers in the sense of like you were setting up the website in English so that you can get those international clients that you were um, looking for. Uh, you also showed work that you, you know, you showed what you were capable of doing. And I wonder what are the things played a role in getting those first clients? What's was that, you know, you just put that website out there and you just waited or where were there any other things that you were doing like speaking or connecting with people or doing like client acquisition or sending emails or which kind of things because it sounds otherwise it sounds really like magical like okay you put a website out there I bet that at that time it was different like there were mm -hmm. not so many portfolios out there which showed this kind of artwork that you were doing yeah. at that time um so today just by putting your website out there perhaps it's not enough but i wonder yeah. if there were any other things that you think played a role in you in your career taking off or yeah having those first projects coming in yeah i i did a couple of trips to um to different cities i mm -hmm. went to london and i went to new york and i showed my portfolio and In both places, um, they were receptive. Uh, so that's something that I thought for me was very helpful to just knock you were the having doors. meetings. Sorry, you were having meetings with with uh, agencies or design studios. How was that? Everything, mm. uh, just knocking like um, representation agencies, uh, advertising agencies, studios. At uh, that time, I was a, a big, big fan of non-format, and uh, I went to London, and, and we got to collaborate. You too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, yeah, like, the studios from the early 2000s were, you know, like, we were, like, from that time. Yeah. MM Paris and, and non-format. Yeah, like, kind of, like, they're the holy grail. Um, so, yeah, I really tried to kind of, like, shoot for the stars. And, uh, mm. and of course, nothing really ends up happening as you plan but there's it's, it was kind of like this sort of like butterfly effect that like okay it's not what I thought it was going to be but then this other thing happened and, and there was a lot of things um, appearing it's true that back in the days also like uh, the internet sort of like scene for design was very centralized in like um, websites there was like a uh, few websites where there was the design news and, and they were really kind of like, if you were featured over there, you really, that was a very loud uh, sort of like voice. I guess similar to these days, maybe you get featured in Behance, but I'm I'm not sure. There's so, so much more today and there's so many channels. Um, I think, yeah, it's important to make yourself present in platforms, but also physically in certain places. So mm -hmm. if there's any young uh, designers, I really encourage anybody to go to do like a, a business trip, you know, like take one week and plan your, your week into like, okay, I'm going to go to this city and, and I'm just going to try to arrange a meeting 
before going to to show up in a place but if they don't respond maybe you could just drop a note or you know make yourself kind of use your own seductive skills but like yeah there's there's a lot you could do if yeah if you do things in a certain way like i feel like it's funny how you can get a job or not get a job right mm -hmm. like it's like sometimes there's a a difference in the way you somebody has done something that got the attention of the person that lives yeah. there and you're like okay you know like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna greet you um I, sometimes i i get a call from i remember it's so funny like it was like maybe a high school student that called me uh and uh said like hi I'm, i'm doing this work and just yeah nobody does that and it was so crazy that I was like yeah okay like I want to help you now but like if maybe if that person had gone in another channel was so direct that it worked so you never know and it, sometimes it's the right time in the right place so mm. the more chances you play into that lottery like to see if like you get to to hit the jackpot and you're like the right place at the right time just keep trying right because like there's there's many things that can happen just by by pure chance Yeah, I always say to, you know, the people I work with or like students that I coach, like you have to try to keep yourself at the top of your client's mind. And, you know, sometimes it's a, an email and sometimes you will send a postcard or you will send a note or you will send them, you know, or you will call them. Um, but I think that, as you said, being there at the right time can be at different times in the next couple of years. So you need to try to keep on trying. Um, mm -hmm. and what worked for you, like to get those meetings, um, because you were like, you know, a designer or an illustrator and you were approaching this, this big, um, uh, studio or star studios, design studios at that time, what worked for you to get those meetings and to get to show your work? Were you sending, uh, emails or were you calling or how was that? It's portfolio. I think in that sense, you need to, I, I believe a lot that the talking needs to be done by your work. Mm. Like, um, but sometimes, you know, in order to get the work uh, in the door, you need to do some talking. But <laughs> I'm I'm very bad at that, and I I hope I got a little bit better with the years. But yeah, at the time, I really just left the work to to speak by itself, and and then let people see if they they see an opportunity in in hiring you. So yeah, I I'm also not very good about the platforms. So like, it's also very important these days to be very active and like just uh, show a lot to stay present uh, all the time. But yeah, back in the days it was like you know you put one work in the website or like once every you know once a month, and that was what was the kind of like window to the wall and it was way more easy because it's like I don't need to put so much time thinking about I need to make a post every two days in order yeah. to just keep the the bus going so it's it's a different game for sure yeah. Yeah. yeah um I want to ask you a little bit about what came after so you are now so you were living in Barcelona for Um, the beginning of your creative career and then you decided to move to New York. I don't know if this was like really like a straight line or you were going to other cities in between, but you are now living in New York for how many years? It's been, um, 
it's been almost 10 years yeah. uh like nine nine years like i i i got the visa in 2013 mm. and uh, yeah now it's 2022 so it's nine but yeah, i was like back and forth for one year before so yeah close to that that time and i was 30 at the time that i decided to do it mm. and and it was kind of like a decision of um, if i don't do this now i probably will regret it or like mm. think about it all my life like what if because i was very comfortable in barcelona in that sense and there was a um, kind of like a a life sort of like um um, opportunity my my agents were telling me come to New York we'll give you work and then I also met somebody and and uh, yeah it was it made sense at the time to try and and yeah I just decided to to pack my bags and see how how it felt and yeah and it still feels good so I'm staying for and how, how do you feel that that played a role in your success as a designer Whatever you call success, mm -hmm. but how do you play? Yeah. How do you think that really had an impact on that? Look, I, I don't know in terms of like professionalism or like when you think about. Um, it's hard to say at this point because Barcelona, for example, has a great concentration of talent, mm -hmm. um, and and also there's a there's a lot of like it's more based on experimentation almost because the market doesn't allow to absorb so all the talent. So there's a lot of people creating for the sake of creating. <laughs> and, um, and in New York, it's kind of like a little bit the opposite. It's like, there's a lot of, um, it's big business, but you need to be effective all the time. You can, mm. if you're not making money, you cannot stay in New York. So there's a little bit of, you lose a little bit that sort of like artistic approach to certain mm. things. Um, but at the same time, I, I got to kind of like learn a lot of things personally in, in the idea of just becoming an immigrant for, uh, for these years. And I think it's, it, it's been very, it's been very formative in, you know, like I'm a, uh, a white man and I have all the uh, heterosexual. So it's like all the privileges you could think of, but uh, going through a process of like going through immigration in a new city and kind of like um, break your bubble of mm -hmm. comfort. Uh, I think it was very good uh, in a city like New York, where also it's like the most welcoming city for for immigrants, right? So, um, so in that sense, I, I I feel like it's it's been like my school of life, New York. Yeah, I mean, I also relocated cities, and I live in Berlin now, and. I feel that from an outsider point of view, oftentimes people think that if you re relocate to a place like New York or Berlin where there's a lot of opportunities or business in the broad sense, um, things will be easier. But there's this other whole side of things, which is being an immigrant in a new city with a new language mm -hmm. where you have to find friends and figure out a lot of things that you had already figured out in your um, you know, back home, right? So there's a lot of, or a, a whole batch of stuff that you have to take care of, which you were not taking care of. Um, on top of, you know, on top of all those opportunities that this new city may open for you. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, there's this other downside or this other side to to stuff, which is like not everything is like 
all of the sudden a lot of opportunities coming your way, but also a lot of things that you have to go through and you have to pull through, um, mm -hmm. as you said, yeah, as, an totally. as an immigrant, right? Exactly, and and it's it's the little achievements like just to get certain things, and I can imagine also Berlin, for example. I I lived there for six months in my life when I was oh. doing my Erasmus, um, and I was lucky because you know it was summer, it was all nice. But Berlin is also it's a it's it's a top city because um, I feel like it's it's not as welcoming as, as other cities. Like you really need to adapt to a certain way of living. And in, I don't know how it is for you, but like, um, yeah, I guess like the language, for example, uh, it's something that at this point you must have like in a fantastic German, I, I assume, right? Of or, course. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like the whole city has like a, a vibe that it's a, it has a, it's, it's a tough personality. It's, it's not the most, uh, lovey-dovey uh, sort of city it's 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 kind of tough uh, especially in winter you know like uh, when you see like the sun going down at 3 30 and certain things yeah like my girlfriend was living in in berlin um and i spent some time over there but yeah it's it's a it's a challenge yeah for sure mm. at, at least for me i guess for you yeah. too because you come from a very warm country in that sense warm-hearted country yeah and i think like when I, you know, I feel that when I look at, at New York, for instance, like, uh, I also feel that, you know, it's a very different way of, even in comparison with my life in Berlin, um, the the places where you live in your, New York, you tend to live in smaller apartments because housing is so expensive and, you know, the city is always up and running and you, as you said, you have to you have to be working all the time or you have to work and produce because uh, the city requires this, right? So there's definitely challenges to every city. And I feel that what you said before about that this in a way forms you when you, when you sort of arrive to a place and you have to find a new way of or adapt to a new way of living in a lot of different senses, language, uh, the amount of time you work or how intense uh, you work, uh, you know, the, the, the people, the, uh, the housing, um, it definitely forms or changes things in you or creates shifts in you. Um, I want to move on to, you know, we were talking about your beginnings as a designer, um, how you you had this background um, in your family of your grandfather being a designer, uh, then you decided to go down the path of design as well. Uh, you spoke about the beginnings of you um, employing yourself in different uh, design studios and then going into freelancing. I want to talk a little bit more, um, not so much of the career side of things, but more on the skill side of things. And I want to ask mm -hmm. you, you know, you are one of the, um, most renowned um, typographers or artists out there um, and you have you know you built, <laughs> I think so definitely sure. 
And I, I, I think that, you know, for someone starting, they kind of look at yeah. what you have built and it's really amazing, not only in terms of like the projects that you have acquired, but also the skills that you have developed. Um, and I want to ask you a little bit about that. How do you feel or what, what do you think, if you could name two things, mm -hmm. what do you think are the two things that really made a difference in you becoming so good at what you do? I think it's a matter of play. Like it needs to be something that it's almost not intentional. It's kind of like a um, drive to have fun with um, experimenting with like in, in my case, it's not ideas per se. It's, it's sometimes it's styles. Mm. I think that's where the idea sometimes originates. And for me, it's very important that there's a certain level of discovery in the process of how to translate things visually in a language that you haven't done before so i enjoy that the most like kind of like having a, a moment of um surprise mm -hmm. in the process and uh, and and that it's more driven through the the aspect of visual is so strong and don't get me wrong the idea needs to be there too, mm. but um, it almost, the idea kind of like shows up after you've been um, crafting mm. and then kind of like shows like, okay, this for, for this sort of like um, language, uh, this idea will fit, but it's almost like after the, the style. Um, so yeah, and, and for me, like, um, and I don't consider myself very good about, um, technical stuff when it comes to um, what the technology of today can really allow you to do. Like you see um, if like there's any um, kind of like 3D artists in, in the, in, as a listener, like, yeah, it's like what I, what I work with, it's, it's very basic compared to like what people are doing these days. Um, but it just kind of like, uh, I, I like to maybe use a simple thing and try to make it your own in, mm -hmm. in the sense of like um, the tool kind of like forces you to think in a certain way. And I enjoy when that happens, when like I learn what the tool, um, I could take the best out of each tool, right? Mm -hmm. So, and um, but if the tool is very complex, then I cannot go very deep. So I think that that's something that, for example, from 2000, three when i started till 2015 i only worked with vector and photoshop and i knew these tools whereas i con i consider them simpler um but i could go as deep as anything um but these days the tools are countless mm -hmm. like there's so many tools and at the same time they're way more complex than than vector and, and photoshop and uh, but that what happens with that is like you are you're kind of like skimming the surface of many things. So um, I guess like what, what I try to do is get lost in every project. Every project needs to have that sort of like moment of understanding what um, that style demanded to you for you to learn. And then you forget about it. And mm -hmm. it's crazy that like my, my memory, uh, I accepted that I will, I will learn something and I will forget about it. And then in the next project, I will have to maybe learn something new and then I will forget what I learned and I had to constantly 
kind of like navigate the library of content of tutorials and like learning new skills and um, and yeah that's also part of like what I think is very exciting these days that um, there's a it's a huge white canvas still for for creativity and there's a lot a lot to to just keep learning and I and I really like the idea of like never not not knowing very well what what will happen in in few years mm. like like to have the idea of like man I don't know maybe you you start like playing with this and that and you're gonna end up doing something that you had no idea that you will be doing and um, I that excites me a lot uh, because the possibilities are really there and um, and yeah once you're like um, I think uh, getting used to a certain level of like when it comes to 3D especially I think like once you kind of like spend a couple of years with that language then you are kind of like in a sort of like her quarters of sorts that you can branch out to so many other things and um, and it becomes very fun because I think everybody kind of like creates their own path and it's a very unique one um, where I feel in terms of technology and creativity we're kind of like in an infancy in a training stage everybody's still like learning imitating others and like everything like kind of like looks very similar because the these very complex tools we haven't um absorbed uh personally mm -hmm. enough so mm -hmm. there's i think uh in and you already see like there's some artists that like what you're doing is so layered in terms of like you have combined so many skills into this process that it's you have a very unique thing going on um as opposed to the maybe bigger part of the 3D community, I feel like it's still kind of like this learning process and they haven't defined themselves yet. Um, but the possibilities are really, really incredible. So yeah, I'm very excited to see what's gonna happen in, in five, 10 years and beyond, right? So who knows? Um, I, yeah, but like I said, I think it's play. It's just having fun is the most important. And I want to ask you to sort of wrap up the episode. I normally ask this to my guests, which is like, you know, most of them are accomplished designers or creatives. And um, I want to like go beyond like that perfect image of the life of a designer and kind of understand if there's any, you know, in your story and your path and your career as an artist, if there's any challenge that you remember that was or any challenging moments that you had to go through and mm -hmm. what were the things that you do um, to overcome it uh, it could be any rough experience that you have had or any challenge that you have experienced throughout your career right well I think first of all I think if um, if it's easy it's it's boring so that <laughs> from start and uh and if you're not having fun you're also not doing it right so it needs <laughs> it there is that sort of like thing that i think needs to happen um but i would say like every project presents itself with like a uh, good amount of anxiety for me like they're um figuring certain things out and like it really occupies 
most of space in my brain and I feel like sometimes it's kind of like a very monotone sort of like um, workaholic mind where like you know like there's there's no much room of other things when I'm into you know solving certain things it's like uh, takes a lot of of my space and and I need time and I get very stressed and you know there's all these frustrations that are part of the process and 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 you need to learn to kind of like separate yourself get some air coming back and protect your energy a little mm-hmm. bit because um, every day you you accomplish something either if it's a successful thing or not but it it put you closer to uh, what is kind of like the the conclusion that is going to come eventually right so mm-hmm. um, either if it's a bad uh, bad path you might you know discover something out of that um, but then that's kind of like on a daily basis. But then I also got to say that on 2015, this was kind of like the year that I felt like uh, my portfolio was kind of like uh, feeling a little bit um, uh, flat uh, in terms of the possibilities that I could see that you could do with our technology. And I was really, I dodged for so many years uh, getting into 3D. And because I thought, you know, like that's, a little bit like, like my grandfather, like, okay, like I'm just going to do my thing and I will be able to do this for the rest of my life because there's always going to be market for this one thing. Mm. And, um, and finally, it was through, through my studio uh, mate at a time, uh, Freddy Arenas. I kind of like, kind of like oh, no, don't think about it. Just like, I'll help you out. Bless his heart. Like, the moment you said that, he really helped me out for many years to learn 3D. And um, But it was kind of like an inflection point because I was kind of like feeling a little bit uh, unsatisfied and everything that I did, I was not being very excited. So for me, it was a little bit of a big crisis in my in my career that those years from 2015 till, you know, 2017, there was a lot of things that I had to relearn and, and, and do some steps back. So, yeah, I, I think, and this is not just one, once in a lifetime, I think it's going to happen again <laughs> because technology is advancing so fast that every now and then somebody changed the rules completely mm. and you're going to find yourself kind of like finding that you need to, you know, overcome the market demands or your own demands as a mm. as a you know as a professional creative and yeah that that's part of the game kind of like um the the harder it is the more the more um sweet it tastes at the end but yeah it's very bitter sometimes uh but yeah that's i think everybody knows that i'm not saying anything new but sometimes it's good to remind it because it does look in these chats that everything oh yeah <laughs> yeah. But yeah there's a lot of frustration that comes in the process and and yeah it's, it's part of it yeah and it's interesting that you know it seems that by learning a new skill or by learning a new tool even you sort of overcame that that feeling of being a stagnant of your at your work right so mm-hmm. um yeah i i agree that that was for me a good a good key to get out of the of the room that I felt very trapped in. Mm. Like okay, just learn something new and and change the tool, change the game. Uh, it was really like that for me. So I 
I think with creative block sometimes is instead I was really focusing on on concept and like trying to come up with new ideas but at some point the mind it's just very I, I think it needs to be something a bit more practical and, and almost like physical no? change change your brushes or change something and then like new accidents will happen I love that and I think that also relates a little bit to what we were discussing before which is that you know change your city and mm -hmm. things will you, you know you will create shifts in you um, that are not so obvious, but it would definitely have an impact on the way you approach your work. Um, the same way you change the tool that has an impact on the way, uh, on the kind of work you produce. So I love that idea of like, you know, change the tool or change the city or change something in your life and yeah. that would change the game. Uh, so I'm keeping that idea with me after this conversation. Alex, where can people find you if they want to see your work or follow your creative process um well i think instagram would be maybe the the best uh place also i'm in twitter so in instagram it's uh at trochut and in twitter is at alex trochut um amazing so that is yeah. that is at trochut is a t-r-o-c-h UT, UT. Um, and i'm gonna add this to our show notes so that people can find Perfect. you Thank you so much, Alex, for chatting with me today and for all the things that you share about your uh, career and your story as a designer. Um, it was great to, to catch up. And thanks Amazing. again for taking the time. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I think, yeah, thank you for, for inviting me. And I, I, I love uh, the conversation we had. So thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Alex, again, for being um, on the podcast today. Bye-bye and see you on the next episode of Open Studio. Bye. Thank you, Martina. Bye. So this is it. I hope you loved this episode. You can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martina Flor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have a question or comments, go to martinaflor.com slash podcast where you can see previous episodes find show notes, and send voice memos with your comments and questions. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube. Just go to martinaflor.com slash YouTube to find them. You can, of course, listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you loved this episode, subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave us a review, it will help others find us. Thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. Bye-bye.